Hello there, everyone. Welcome back to the TTOR channel, and welcome to a very, very special God TV radio podcast. Today, I'm going to be doing a collab that I'm sure none of you saw coming, because I didn't know until this morning that it was going to happen. And you probably never would have thought this a couple of years ago, but I am here with Godless Girl, the atheist on YouTube that I actually respect compared to basically all the others who are more popular than she is. Say hello, Godless. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, everybody. So Godless has been on a bit of a, uh, well, I don't think it's necessarily a mission per se, but some of the content that she's put out recently exposing the behavior and the attitudes and the actions of the general atheist YouTube internet community has been quite refreshing to me because I've observed a lot of the same things ever since I started dealing with the topic of creation versus evolution slash atheism back in 2000, I think, 17. And so I thought it would be fun to have Godless herself come on here to go over those pieces of content, maybe provide us with some more details, and we'll just swing on from there. So I think, Godless, before we get into your content, maybe you could give a brief, <laughs> brief introduction of yourself and what you're all about. Uh, I'm an atheist, a YouTuber, I'm a troll, big time troll, but I do have serious debates and discussions too. I know a lot of philosophy. I'm really good at debating. Um, I'm anti-feminist, which is a rare position for a female to take. Uh, I'm a big fan of Brett Keen. We've been friends for a long time. And I've been anti-atheist for, for years. Um, I think part of it is because uh, I used to be one of those like newbie rookie arrogant atheists that was really uh, really bad at debating, but I thought I was good at the time. Um, and then I, so now I hate that when other atheists because it like reminds me of what I hate about what I myself or what I used to be. Hmm. Very very noble of you to be that introspective. Unfortunately, as we're going to talk about later, that kind of introspection doesn't happen a lot in the atheist community. All right. Or humanity in general. But anyway, uh, let me think. I think the first thing we should look at is a tweet that you made on uh, December 9th of this month. I just got to remember where the share screen button is. There it is. Uh, we'll take this. Actually, you know what? Let's take application window. This should work. All right. I'm on. And here we have... And those of you who just saw that briefly, uh, we are also live on Quarter and Joshu TV. So if for some reason this stream gets taken down due to a false flag campaign or a mod at YouTube just not liking me for whatever reason, I'll still be live on Quarter and Joshu TV even if that happens. So that's what that's all about. So Godless on December 9th in the afternoon showed a screenshot from the Atheist Experience, a poll they did asking if atheists had the burden of proof. Now, the reason I find this post interesting is because, as you can see in the picture, there were over 12,000 votes on this poll. So I consider that to be a pretty good representative sample of the atheist community, assuming that it's mostly atheists who were voting in this poll. Uh, and so we see with over 12,000 votes that only 2% said that atheists have a burden of proof, 27% said no, and 71% said 
only if they make a claim. So what that really means is that of the 12,000 plus people who voted in this poll, most of whom I presume were atheists, only 2% of 12,000 people said, yes, atheists have a burden of proof. And when you pull out your calculator, you find some very interesting math. So you do 12,000 times 0.02. That means out of over 12,000 mostly atheist people who vote in this poll, only 240 of them said, yes, atheists have a burden of proof when it comes to their worldview. I don't know about you, Godless, but I find this very staggering because I'm told all the no, time. That's, why, by, that's exactly the word I was just thinking. I, I, I was told all the time by atheists who comment on, on, my, on my videos and as well as in their own videos. Uh, you know, I was told all the time that, you know, atheism is true and all the facts of reality pointed at are supported. All the logic and the reason and the evidence of the observable reality support the truthfulness of atheism, evolution, billions of years, etc. And yet when it comes to, you know, actually proving it, 98% of atheists say, nah, we don't have to prove it. Why do they punt the ball on this it. issue? It's not even prove it that I would be asking. That. It's just like give some kind of evidence for their, their claim. You know, they think the burden is completely on the theist. Which is weird because when you think about atheism as a worldview, it teaches that there is no God that exists outside of reality that made reality and everything in it. So you'd think there'd be some pretty compelling evidence that would support that. But yet, apparently, 98% of them say, nah, we don't have a burden of proof. We don't have to prove that atheism is true. We don't have to prove with any kind of observational evidence that evolution as we teach it in schools on the cosmic scale is true. No, 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 no. All the burden of proof is on you to prove us wrong. And that basically, from where I've been sitting for years, allows them to basically dismiss everything that I or another Christian or another creationist presents, no matter how well supported it is with studies, observable evidence and reality, logic, reason. Like, no matter what we say, they can just dismiss it because they feel like they don't have to prove anything. Uh, has that been your experience looking at your brethren? Yeah, well, this is why they the boring debate about the definition of atheism is so common because they'll either, well, they'll either say they're not atheists, they're agnostics so that then they think they don't have to defend their position or they'll, they'll say, Oh, well, atheism is just a lack of belief. Therefore I don't really, it's not even a position. I don't have to defend it, but I, I can tell you what almost always works to corner them hmm. is you ask them, well, don't you think it's more likely than not that no gods exist? You know, like you're not totally on the fence and they'll almost always say, yeah, I think it's more likely than not that no gods exist. They'll pretty much always admit it hmm. when you word it like that. And it's like, well, that's that's a probabilistic claim you're making there. What's your evidence? You know, they're not, now you have to support it. Right. Because in order to get to that, then it's like, come on, sir, come on. You're totally on the fence. Like if you had to put your money somewhere, just you just roll the dice, you wouldn't pick a side. Then they're just being dishonest, obviously dishonest. Right, because when I think about, you know, something being probably true, it's not because of a hunch I have. It's because there's something I'm observing about whatever it is I'm thinking is probably true that makes me think, okay, even though there's not, you know, conclusive evidence that this is true, what I'm seeing makes me think it probably is. You would think 
if that's how they view, you know, well, there's probably no God. It's more, it's more likely than not. It's more probable than not that there's a God or that, you know, or that a God doesn't exist. You'd think they'd have something they've seen in reality that they'd instantly be able to point to. And yet we don't get this response, do we? Yeah, I mean, I have sophisticated atheist friends on the internet who who do know how to defend their position and would, you know, be able to give arguments. But this polls from like the atheist experience fans, the people that watch, you know, that show Matt Dillahunty used to be on all the time. I guess he's recently left the atheist experience. But that's the atheist experience is like what mainstream atheism is on the internet. Yes, that's what I remember too. Because uh, I remember when I was younger, like uh, like eight years ago, nine years ago, maybe even ten years ago, I was seeing clips of that show on uh, YouTube and whatnot. So. Yeah, I was under the impression by looking at who conducted the poll and how many people voted that this was basically mainstream atheism being studied in real time. And uh, I don't know, it just feels really weird, you know, to sit here and be told that my opponent's worldview is true, but he never has to prove anything. It just doesn't sit right to me. And I don't think it sit right, sits right to normal people. Uh, and I don't know if you know who Steve McRae is. He's a friend of mine. He's calls himself, mm -hmm. but he's like a true agnostic. Uh, cause he doesn't, he's, he's been on the forefront of the fight against atheists about the definition of atheism. He's like made himself enemies with, you know, Matt Dill hunting Aaron raw. I don't know if you know who he is. Do you know who he is? I, I do know who Steve McRae is. I've actually made content about him in the past. Uh, sounds like he's come a long way from the last time I talked to him. I remember back in 2018, it was he and I were having an argument with other people in a room after a show I was in. And he actually told me that if I went to the Wikipedia page for wheatgrass, that I would see that wheatgrass is an example of evolution in action. Of course, I take up his advice and I go to the page and there's not one mention of evolution in the entire article, not in the sources, not in the text, nowhere. And that was the last time I really interacted with him <laughs> and his content. So from what you're telling me, it sounds like he's come a long way in these last like four years. Oh, uh, well, I mean, he's usually he's he's really uh, anti-creationist and stuff. So you guys mm -hmm. aren't going to agree when it comes to that. But he's he's really done a lot to fight against the definition of atheism nonsense. Uh, I see. Uh so I think we've talked about uh, enough of this. Well, actually, uh, maybe we can talk more about the 71% that exists within the 98. The people who, in response to this poll, said, well, you know, we only have a burden of proof if, if we make a claim. Uh, what do you think of that entire uh, logic of theirs? Well, see, that. so that's what they're doing is their actual position is that it's more likely than not that no gods exist. But they think if they just claim that they lack belief, that then they don't have to defend it. And they're doing that because they don't know how to defend it, even though they believe it. Even though they do believe no gods exist, they don't want to defend it. So they won't claim that no gods exist. When they're talking to a Christian or whatever, they'll just say, what's the evidence? Because I lack belief. But they're just being dishonest about what they actually believe. So that sounds to me like the Christian who says, yeah, I believe that God exists and the Bible is true. But when pressed, they can't give you good evidence for why they think that. Yeah. So what I'm saying is they won't claim what they won't make the claim of what they actually believe. 
They won't claim what they actually believe, which is an incredibly intellectually dishonest. And then they go around saying people like me are dishonest. The irony is rich in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Yeah, I, I kind of get it. I mean, if you believe something, but you can't defend it, if you have any real self-awareness, you definitely wouldn't want to be put in the position of having to defend your worldview, especially if you represent a community like atheists do. Because then you could be used as cannon fodder to say, well, you know, atheism is false. Kind of like how a lot of atheists will go to the low-hanging fruit in the Christian community and they'll hold that up as like this is representative of all or the best Christians that there are as far as argumentation and whatnot goes. So I can kind of understand why they would want to, you know, avoid defending their worldview if they can. It just it just feels weird that they would do this while simultaneously claiming that, you know, with certainty that my worldview is false or that evidence and logic and rationality doesn't support my worldview, but does support theirs. It's just it's all weird to for them to be doing all this at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So the other thing you did that I made a video about recently that I was hoping you could give us more examples of in action was this medium post you made called you are a stupid and dishonest atheist if what i say triggers you and so you talked about you know construction of truth and how it gets us through life and that once lies are repeated often enough that the real truth is suppressed and our constructed truth becomes our perception or what we think is reality and so i just wanted to go through points one through five and ask you for more specific examples of those points. So in point number one, you said you only read, watch what you already agree with, and that you deliberately stay away from anything that might challenge your existing worldview, and that this is to simply conform to your own prejudices, and you stay away from anything that might challenge your worldview. And then because of this, you start unfollowing people on social media who disagree with you. And basically you point out how when we are comfortable with what we believe, we have no problem with being faced with dissenting content. And you questioned why someone would shy away if they really thought the truth was on their side. Are there any uh, specific examples of that that you've observed on the Internet or in real life that you can uh, give regarding point one? Uh, Just like atheists. I mean, so they will watch debates, which you know, is, is I guess watching some kind of opposing content, but then they'll only engage with like um, watching, you know, atheists review the debates rather than a Christian review the debate and see what their uh, criticisms are, stuff like that. Uh, So I basically have the opposite approach. You know, I generally avoid debates and instead I'll go to like the vlogs or the YouTube videos that are much shorter that, you know, the same people are putting out and <laughs> respond to that. Uh, and I do see like Christians, not that there's not intellectually dishonest Christians, but Christians yeah. will like watch the atheist experience and stuff. You'll never catch it. It's very rare to catch an atheist watching like a Christian podcast or whatever. Yeah. I, I imagine that would be true because like I said, in my original video about this article, my experience when I go to like atheist YouTube videos by like Sir Sick and Apologia and uh, uh, Professor Stick and the like, basically all I ever see in those comment sections practically is 
affirmation of some kind. Like, you know, oh, that was a great video. Oh, you're so smart. Oh, yeah, you really showed those Christians and creationists in this one. But like rarely ever do I see any kind of dissent from what was said in the video, even when there's some horribly wrong or horribly fallacious things being said in the video that I, I, you would think an honest atheist would be saying, well, now, wait a minute, buddy. I mean, I'm with you on this whole worldview thing, but we can't be saying stuff like that. It makes us look bad. I don't ever see that in comment sections of uh, videos by atheist evolutionist content creators Unless I make the comment, you know? <laughs> uh, right. And I mean, so... you're going to be able to find exceptions to everything we're saying, but we're just speaking right. generally, the general trends. Yeah, I mean, I have seen dissent here and there, but it's so sporadic and it occurs so little. I mean, it's probably like 2% of the comments I see in their sections. Of course, it's been a while since I've been trolling through those comment sections. I'm just speaking from my experience when I used to do so more often back in like 2018. 2019 before i got busy doing all the crazy tech stuff i've been doing so point number two was basically the whole anyone who's a who disagrees with me is stupid thing and that basically how atheists and people who practice this in general use this as a way to protect themselves from anything that dissents from what they believe and you said it's this kind of thinking and uh logic that leads to the creation of terms like magic sky daddy and that basically they're reducing christianity to an ad absurdum level so why is it so important that atheists do not reduce christianity to the ad absurdum level and basically accuse all christians of being stupid simply for not agreeing with them why is it so important for atheists and your brethren to do that uh uh, I mean, I'm not sure. Um, wait, ask the question again. Basically, why is it important to not reduce Christianity to ad absurdum and make and make uh, make protective labels to protect yourself from you know a Christian who disagrees with you? Why is it important for you guys to do that? Sorry, I'm not understanding the question. Reduce Christianity, reduce Christianity to an ab, ad absurdum. Yeah, you right ad here, absurdum is like when you show a contradiction in a view. Ah, well, you wrote here, by reducing Christianity to uh, ad absurdum, we don't need to worry about its potential truth and that you're wrapping yourself in protective labels. So I, I assumed that sentence. Oh, maybe that, I like mistyped that. Maybe that was a typo or something. I didn't mean, sorry, I messed up there. Okay. Well, I, I, the way I interpret it is you don't want to reduce Christianity to some absurd position that's not actually taught in any way by any Christians ever, because that's something I've seen too in atheist content is that they will claim that Christians say or teach things that I know for a fact as someone who's been in Christian groups and churches, et cetera, that no Christian I've ever come across has ever said that. So, oh, that's what oh, I, was so I can of... give actually an example of something. So Aaron Ra, he okay. uh, always straw mans the, uh, the Christians on their definition of faith. Mm. Uh, and he'll say it's something like, you know, oh, I'm going to believe this no matter what the evidence is against it for no reason. And he's been exposed by Christians multiple times for that's not the definition of faith that any of them use. And he's been asked to cite like a single theologian who says that, and he, he never does, but he goes around continuing to assert that that's their definition of faith. Right. 
which is weird to a Christian like me because there's all these parts in the Old and New Testament where God literally calls us to reason together with him. And you see Jesus telling his enemies as well as his disciples, hey, if you don't believe what I'm saying, just look at the evidence I'm providing through my works and my actions, and you'll understand that I'm telling the truth. And so, yeah, when I hear Aaron Ross say stuff like that in light of what the Bible records and posts, it's like, well, that doesn't sound like the Christian worldview there, Aaron. <laughs> that kind of blind faith, uh, though, that ignores all of reality. I have actually seen that before in other sources. There's a, I think it's a Nature Magazine article from 1999 where Scott C. Todd was reacting in the article to a creation evolution debate that had just happened where, nearby where he was. And so he was giving an analysis of the debate. And at the end of his article, Scott C. Todd, the evolutionary biologist, I assume he was, he literally wrote that even if all of the data in reality supported the idea of intelligent design, that such a hypothesis would be excluded from science because it's not a naturalistic explanation of origins. And so when I think about uh, Aaron Ra's claim that Christians, you know, they just have faith that something is true, even if all the evidence goes against it. We have in writing evolutionists teaching that very thing about evolution and their rejection of intelligent design and therefore creationism is that, well, you know, even if all the evidence supports intelligent design and or creationism, you know, that's not allowed to be a conclusion you come to because it's not a, a naturalistic explanation of origins. I just think, you know, if a, if I tried to do that or if a Christian apologist tried doing that, saying, well, even if all the evidence in reality supports atheism, evolution, billions of years, well, such a conclusion is such a hypothesis is not allowed to be come to because it's not a supernaturalistic explanation of origins. If I did that, the atheist community would be up in arms and saying that that's illegitimate and you can't do that. And you know, you're a horrible person for doing that. But yet when their own people do it, we don't hear anything from that camp. Right. Which to me is really weird because it's basically, you know, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. I mean, you know, if you're going to allow yourself to say, ah, we can just dismiss all of reality if it doesn't conform to our worldview, I don't see why Christians would be not allowed to have the same luxury. You know what I mean? Yeah. I uh, know that, by the way, that magic sky daddy thing, there's pretty much a 100% correlation between if somebody uses that word and that, that they're us, you know, one of those rookie newbie, angry atheists types. You Speaking won't of catch any sophisticated atheists using that word. Hope. I hope not. Because, <laughs> because it, it doesn't quite fit, but, uh, Maybe you can answer this since you brought it up a couple of times. You're talking about the newbie atheist being angry. Is that traditionally or normally what it's like being an atheist when you first become one? Are such people usually that angry against Christianity or religion and that vocal about it? Uh, usually, not always, I guess. I certainly was like that. Oh. I guess, yeah, so it's pretty normal from what you've seen then on the internet and the world. Yeah, and being very anti-religious, so they'll like, uh, like, you know, all these atheist organizations, they'll um, be, they'll like freak out if 
somebody like some Christian puts up a, a cross on government property or something because it's unconstitutional. But uh-huh. they, you know, they're not, and they're just like being keyboard warriors about the 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 atheists on the internet are just being like keyboard warriors about it, and all this outrage about a, a cross. But then you know, when there's all these human rights disasters in other parts of the world, they're they're not concerned about that stuff. Right. Who cares if you're wearing a cross on your shirt as long as you're freeing me from the rubble and giving me clean clothes and food after, you know, this horrible thing just happened? Yeah, I don't think you care about the cross at that point. (laughs) Of course, you could be because you're reduced to your most basic survival instincts in extreme situations like that. (laughs) Although I'm not sure how I would react to being in that situation because oftentimes... I find myself being very calm and level-headed in scenarios where normal people for start freaking out or panicking. So yeah, I don't know how I would do in that scenario. So point number three you made in your article was about how a lot of times a lot of internet atheists will use words like rational and logical to describe themselves, but they don't actually, the terms don't actually prove them to be any of those things and that you compared them to a placebo and how these placebos ultimately made these people uh, the opposite of a free thinker. Is there like a specific example or two that you've seen from your brethren in the atheist community of this, like where they claim to be rational and logical, but then when they were pressed, they couldn't defend anything they said with rationality or logic. So, I mean, sorry to keep bringing up Aaron Ra. It's just, I hate him above all the atheists. Um, he uses those words constantly, but then he admittedly doesn't care about philosophy or use philosophy, which is like he does. He's not even familiar with like what rational thought is and following inference rules and stuff. All he does is scream, scream at Christians and use those words when he doesn't even know what those words mean, pretty much. Well, I do know that when you are angry, it is harder to think rationally and logically. But yeah, I guess he just. I guess he likes the anger feeling. It's the only thing I can think of. Although you'd think for him at some point the anger would subside and more rational, logical, you know, things would kick into his brain and he'd be like, oh, I'm sorry for the way I I treated you guys in the past. Your worldview's still horribly wrong, but, but I shouldn't have treated you that way. You'd think after all these years he would get to that point. Uh, it's those science-y type atheist ones, too, that they're using those they they use those words a lot but they're all they can like do is whack off to science and worship science and when they don't actually know any philosophy hmm. so number four you talked about how a lot of atheists will get angry with those who disagree with them they resulting hate in, me <laughs> resulting in behaviors like shouting you down or swearing at you profusely or walking away from the discussion and Basically here, as we can see on screen, you point out how anger happens in situations where they don't feel in control. And so basically they're lashing out as their way of trying to get control back. Uh, Is there any examples other than Aaron Ra that you can point to of this in action? (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is like atheists screaming at street preachers, I guess, uh, without actually engaging what they're saying, maybe. Uh, but I mean, this is just also right, like in in debates. You know, atheists do a lot of debates on the internet. Yeah. Uh, 
and it gets down to like often just them interrupting the opponent and stuff. Yeah, when Brett comes in later after I open up the room, I'm sure he has plenty of fun stories about that. <laughs> yeah, the Aegis have harassed him really bad. Oh, I know. I, I remember uh, I remember back when I first met him a couple of years ago over the internet and how he would start up, you know, channels on like YouTube and BitChute and whatnot. And it seemed like no matter where he went, there was always a couple of atheist trolls in the comment sections of his videos just saying, you know, the worst, most horrible things or blatantly false things and like they just follow him around like a sick puppy i just just don't get it <laughs> yeah i mean you have to be well then again i guess i should get it because there was one guy who did the same thing to me years ago uh when i was starting out as a youtuber in like 2017 18 and i was starting to put out the creation versus evolution responding to atheist youtuber content i did i forget what his username was i think it was scott something he would just comment on every single one of my videos. I mean, at the time, my old YouTube channel had like several hundred uh, videos on it, and he commented on like half of them. I mean, he was my most dedicated follower. Just And the comments were usually the same about how stupid and silly I am and ad hominem attacks and whatnot. And then when I made the jump from YouTube to making BitChute my primary and I left posting to YouTube for four years, he actually followed me to bit shoot and started doing the same thing on all my videos there for like a year and a half until I guess eventually he got bored and decided to leave. But yeah, that guy was a lot like the people. Was he that actually followed. watching your content or was he just uh, watching a minute of it and then commenting? I would say most of the time it was probably the latter. There were a couple of times where his comments indicated he watched more than a minute, but yeah, he uh, he just did. He just had it out for me. Like it's like my existence just bothered him so much, and me, you know, disproving or dissenting from his worldview in my videos, even if I was responding to someone else. I just I tr it triggered him so much. He just couldn't leave me alone until he got bored after like two and a half years of doing this. So yeah, I can I can relate to Brett in that regard. Now, number five is actually funny because I've encountered this like within the last week. <laughs> actually, I think it happened on uh, on Twitter or some other site. No, I think it happened on Gab recently uh, with one other one of my videos. You point out in number five how a lot of atheists will post memes or quotes of like their favorite atheists like Dillahunty, Aaron Ra, uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, etc. And that basically uh, they've act like they've made a point by sharing a quote from someone they worship them they worship the atheist leaders like they're gods yeah that that is definitely the way they behave but why do you think they do this why do you think that they feel like they can post a quote from these guys and uh act like an argument has been made and why do you think that they are unwilling to master the arguments themselves so that when they're pressed about it they can actually give a coherent response uh well their belief their belief that they think that their arguments are good they actually think that their arguments are good so then that belief is getting reinforced by the fellow atheists that come along in the in social media and are like backing up what they're saying and stuff and then you have the atheist leaders saying the same dumb shit oh boy the leaders following the sheep. That ain't good. <laughs> uh, but I recently just made an Instagram account and 
I wouldn't be able to think of a specific example without looking, but there's this phenomenon on Instagram where they're putting all these quotes by like philosophers and atheists. And when you break down the quote, it's actually just total gibberish that doesn't even mean anything. Uh, so I can think of one. One of them said, um, philosophy, you know, desires to something, something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I pointed out philosophy, philosophy is just like a, a system of, you know, rational thought. Philosophy itself doesn't think of anything. It doesn't have desires. How are you going to, and it had, so the quote was philosophy desires something, something. It's like philosophy doesn't have any desires. Like, what does that even mean? It's just gibberish. But you have like all these atheists harding, you know, harding it and reposting it. It's, it's so, they're not even thinking about what they're saying, but they think that the quote sounds wise or something. There's like, uh, there's like dozens of examples of that I came across. I just can't think of specific examples. That's okay. But yeah, that kind of reminds me of all the people who defend the ideology of Islam at all costs, even when uh, Muslim jihadis, you know, go on a killing spree. And that's something that David Wood, the Christian apologist and YouTuber has pointed out for years is that ideologies are not people, they don't have rights, you know, they're not beyond criticism. And yet, it seems like these atheists can't defend their ideologies when they're pushed. One thing, though, that I'm looking at on screen that maybe you could explain, because I've never done it in a video, and it would be fun to hear you explain why. Now, aside from the fact that the quote, you're an atheist when it comes to Zeus, atheists just go one god further. Uh, in response to that, and besides the fact that it's a joke, if that was presented as a serious argument, why would that argument not work? Um, well, I don't even think it's an argument. Like. Yeah, it's not even an argument. So basically, what uh, what what about an argument does it lack that prevents it from being an argument? Just for an inference. Inference. There's to, no inference going on there. Like an inference to anything, like uh, a religious tenet, or uh, like what they're supposed to be concluding. Then that like atheism is rational or Christianity is irrational from the fact of that quote i don't get it i don't even understand what they're trying to say so just so just the the joke itself doesn't even make sense to you <laughs> if they're use if they're trying to use it as an argument it doesn't make sense uh, and i don't i don't even see the point in pointing it out i guess i don't know what they're even getting at i guess the idea they're trying to get at is that i'm an atheist in relation to greek gods or allah or whatever other gods from other religions you want to talk about. So I think the claim is that, well, you're an atheist in regards to those gods because you don't believe they exist. And we're no different than you. We just apply the same logic to your God. I think that's what their point is. But yeah, I think like you just said, that doesn't strike me as like an, a serious argument. It just strikes me at best as a restatement of their position. Uh, so have you had any interactions with, or debates with well-known atheists or or do you have any debates with atheists at all i did have a uh back and forth discussion with shannon q back in 2018 and then i think it was the after show of that where i talked to uh steve mcrae and a couple other people and i've had back and forth video responses with professor stick and vice rhino and uh sir sick I actually got Vice Rhino to bow out of his back and forth responses to me 
after I busted him for deceptively editing one of my videos to make me say something I never said. <laughs> he he waved the white flag and claimed that I was just, you know, like trolling him and just trying to, you know, agitate him and, you know, basically just ran off with a 30 second video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I definitely consider Sh Shannon Q one of the, you know, typical morons, but she's like famous. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the two two of the things I've seen her in is her debate with Side 10, Bruin Kate and Darth Dawkins. And they're presuppositionalists, so I really like presuppositionalists. I don't know how familiar you are with that presuppositionalist. Apologize. I, I have but, a basic idea, but you can explain it a little if you want. Um, but she, uh, it's like she doesn't even understand the argument, and you have a lot of famous atheists like debating these presuppers, and they they think they win, and they think the the atheist audience thinks they win, but they don't even understand the argument. Um, so actually, presuppositionalist apologetics is what first separated me when I realized I was different than the fellow atheists because my fellow atheists, because I realized that their responses were horrible and, and they didn't realize it. Basically um, their responses don't deal with the actual precept arguments. Is that what the problem was? Yeah. So like the presuppositions is um, attacking pretty much any atheist that's not um, well versed with the argument. They pretty much destroy any atheist in debate that they come across. Because it's attacking, you have to have a lot of, um, you have to understand a lot of epistemology to deal with the argument. And um, so, the, I mean, the majority of them don't have that. So they just like lose, they're just getting destroyed in all these debates. And it's, it's so bizarre how they think that they're winning. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, actually, I'm a big big fan of presuppositionalists and side 10 has recently re-emerged on twitter he was gone for a long time but uh yeah i saw that too because i think i follow him too on twitter as well but my uh, since you brought up presuppositionalists it makes me think of my past experiences with people who identify themselves as that the main problem i have with presuppositionalists based on my experience with them is that a lot of the ones i've encountered will basically throw out the idea that you need to appeal to evidence to prove any of the claims taught in the Bible, which to me just doesn't make sense because like I mentioned earlier, there's passages in the Old and New Testament where God and Jesus both appeal to evidence to justify their teachings and their claims. I mean, Jesus, like I said earlier, went so far as to say, hey, if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe what I'm saying on the basis of the evidence I provide you such as, you know, claiming to be God and then doing things that only God can do as far as actions go, like healing someone or performing some miracle that only God can do, according to even my worst enemies. So, yeah, when I look at that, it becomes clear to me that, you know, yeah, every worldview has presuppositions that we believe in, biblical worldview included, but when I read the Bible, I just don't get a presuppositionalist approach to apologetics at all. And yet somehow these guys do. And when you start pointing this stuff out to them, well, they tend to get very nasty towards people like me. <laughs> um, Brett Keen asked in the comments, ask Godless Girl why it's so important to be honest and intellectual. How does that benefit atheism? Well, in order to, for two things. So I think like if you're honest, an intellectual that's going to help you reach true beliefs and then also to grow. It's like a growth thing when it comes to your positions, you know, your, 
I think your positions should always be like evolving and changing or you adding additional reasons for them at least. Hmm. And then Brett earlier said this, most atheists make the positive claim we originated through natural processes. They do have burden of proof. That is actually a very good point, Brett. And that's something that I should probably reiterate more in future videos. They'll say a claim that we have no, they have no burden of proof when it comes to, you know, proving that their worldview is true. But then they do make these positive claims about how we evolved over deep time and it happened naturalistically with no intelligent intervention whatsoever. And then, of course, there's problems with that, mainly the whole length of the process. I, I don't know if you've dealt with this before, uh, Godless, but one of the things that prevents me from believing in the evolutionary atheistic worldview is that the process of evolution is called a naturalistic process. But when you actually look at how long that process takes, it takes so long to occur that nobody can see it happen in action, which ultimately means you can't record it as a historical event. And you can't set up an experiment to verify that this is indeed a naturalistic or na naturally occurring process. So it's weird to me when things like evolution are claimed to be uh, not things happening in nature, naturalistic processes, you know, but yet we can't actually ever observe it happen in nature because it takes just so long. I mean, even the people in the Bible before the flood who were living to be 900 to a thousand years old on average, even if you accept that at face value, those people weren't living anywhere near long enough to ever come close to observing evolution happen in action as a naturally occurring process. So, Yeah, and that's part of the definition of science, right? Yeah, I mean, most atheists, when they use the term science, they're usually referring to observational science. And one of the weird things that they do is that when I talk about the difference between observational and historical science uh they claim that creationists like me are just making up the whole category of historical science even though the actual person who originated the term was an evolutionist in scientific american who was actually defending evolution and he claimed that evolution was a historical science before he proceeded to claim that it's inappropriate to appeal to observational science to prove a historical science. Of course, this same guy, I think his name was uh, Stephen Mayer, I think is his name. He also said that evolution was such a fact that we don't need to actually defend its truthfulness anymore. So he kind of was a little up and down in the way he viewed uh, the whole origins issue. But he was actually the one that came up with the term historical science. But yet when people like me start using the term, we're being told by a lot of your brethren that I, we're just making that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have much to say about evolution because I don't know a lot of science, but so like if I was to debate Ken Ham, say, and not bring any, any philosophy into it, just debate about evolution, I would get my ass kicked. Um, but one thing I do think is funny is, well, first of all, evolution and abiogenesis are two different things, right? So, and I don't think they have any evidence for, abiogenesis right like if you put all the evolution stuff aside um but one thing that's funny is they'll point to the yuri miller experiment yeah you know what i'm talking about yes i do i actually so have a whole when, video on it somewhere in my library when they do that <laughs> look 
the, the Yuri Miller Miller experiment is like, what do they get like DNA from RNA or some ridiculous thing in a lab under controlled conditions by people with minds, right? So it's like that's actually showing that's like actually evidence for intelligent design. Exactly. Not, that's what I not, say in my videos. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Mm -hmm. If it took a if it took a controlled environment with intelligent people intervening in that environment to make something happen, that can never prove a naturalistic origin of something. That can only prove by definition intelligent design. And yet I see every single one of the people like Professor Stick, Vice Rhino, Sir Sick, etc. They all appeal to stuff like that as evidence that life can come from non-life out in nature and yet we don't see any such thing i mean it's not like these guys just set up cameras out in nature recorded life coming from non-life and said see everybody look it happens in nature they literally had to intervene in an environment they controlled to even make it happen and yet somehow we're supposed to conclude based on that that oh yeah it happened out there in nature in the wild and like the harshest possible climates on the earth you can imagine like the hell creek formation in montana yeah it all happened out there without mm -hmm. us intervening in the situation um i mean Thinking obviously I, I believe in evolution so i'm like being biased against the atheists here or whatever but i'm just picking out stuff i've seen them do wrong so it was actually brett keen that introduced me to this fact there's a evolutionary biologist atheist pz myers i don't know if you know who he is but i've heard of him yeah um he says, because of taxonomy, not only were our ancestors fish, but we are still fish. So, you know, you just get it's just this complete ridiculousness. And then you have like these atheist fans of his that that will like back him up saying that. And he'll they'll be like, yeah, I'm a fish. It's like, wow, what the f what the fuck is the matter with you? Just st stop it. <laughs> yeah, um, I cleaned out my gills this morning. <laughs> It was tough, believe me. Uh, but in seriousness, though, uh, after everything we've talked about, and despite the silliness of most of the atheists that are part of your community, technically speaking, you're still an atheist who believes in an, an evolution, a naturalistic explanation of origins. So maybe at this point, you could explain to the viewing audience, as well as me, why you are an atheist who believes in evolution in deep time despite the silliness of the people around you who try to advocate for it. Um, well, I mean, I just, I'm just kind of taking science on, on authority when they, when they talk about evolution, cause I don't know much about it. And then as far as being an atheist, I mean, I can give my reasons for atheism, but I don't know if you want like for, well, I don't know if you want, how much you want me to get into that, but then also something that has absolutely nothing to do with me being anti-atheist, uh, because I was anti-atheist before this happened. But when I was offline for a year and a half, I was actually, I was a really bad alcoholic and I was going to AA. Mm -hmm. And for a while, I actually did believe in a God, not the Christian God. But I haven't talked about that much because, I mean, there's been a few streams I talked about it on, but I just assume most people are going to think I'm trolling when I'm saying it. But I think, mm -hmm. you know, with time and with the sincerity when I'm talking about it, people will be able to actually see it. Uh, I am sincere and there's even moments now where I still believe it, but I never, I don't think at all that it was a rational belief. Um, especially I would believe these weird things about coincidences in my life having meaning. And I think that was like, that's, it was actually irrational, but there's days where I still believe it. Um, but what happened was 
the I was like really desperate. I was going to AA and they got me to, they convinced me to actually try to pray. Uh, mm. And they did this by pointing out that my attitude towards prayer was like anything but scientific because I wasn't willing to try it. And so they just said, when you do it, really mean it. So I like got down on my knees and I prayed for God to give me the willingness to believe. And then, you know, after that, even though I was really close minded, my life like had incredible transformations and fundamental personality uh, changes, which like these, uh, like I, I would have a difficult time explaining what the word spiritual means, but like spiritual experiences and stuff that would take, you know, people a lifetime to accomplish. I accomplished in a very short amount of time by relying mm. on the thought. Um, but I, yeah, I don't think that was rational at all. So then I can also get into my reasons why I, why I'm an atheist. I don't know if you have anything to comment about that. All right. I do see you there, Brett. Uh, I just need to ask her about a couple of things and then I'm going to let you in too. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to ask you about was you pointed out, well, I guess talk with you about, you pointed out regarding evolution that you don't know that much about it. So you kind of just trust what you're being told by the scientific academic community, right? Yeah. One of the things that I've been thinking about making a video about is exactly that, because whether it be atheistic evolutionists like yourself or Catholics or other Christians that believe in evolution and deep time, a common thing I see with a lot of them is they'll say, well, you know, I don't really know enough about, you know, biology or the sciences in order to, you know, really, you know, defend it in a technical or informational level. And so I'm just going to, you know, trust these experts over here. I get both really sad and really angry by that because I don't think people like you or other people who make these kind of claims, I don't think they're that stupid. I think they've been gaslit and brain conditioned into thinking that they're too stupid, essentially, to be able to have access to this information and come to their own conclusions regarding whether or not evolution, deep time, and Big Bang cosmology is true. I'm a firm believer that you can come to your own conclusions on those topics as long as you have access to information and you're willing to actually think through the matter, because that's ultimately how I got to where I am today as a young earth creationist follower of Jesus. I didn't come to this position because I was surrounded by people who told me it was true. I actually did the work of digging in my Bible and figuring out what it taught on origins and actually analyzing dissenting views and comparing it to, you know, their own content, the Bible and my own life experiences, etc. And that's how I got to where I was today. I I didn't know I wasn't an expert in like theology or, you know, biology or whatnot, but you know, I had access to all the information thanks to the internet. And, you know, I know how to understand things and break it down to a way that most people can understand. And I know how to think through things on my own, even though I'm not an expert. That's actually something I was uh, commended for in college was having a knowledge of religion that was really high, despite the fact that I didn't take a religion major at the college I was at. So I'm a firm believer that Atheists like you are capable of actually accessing the information that supports, at least allegedly supports, evolutionary biology or atheistic evolution. I believe you're capable of accessing that information, reading it for yourself and processing it and coming to your own conclusions. I just think you've been gaslit into thinking you're not. 
And I want you and everyone watching this video to know that you're not that stupid. None of you are. You just need access to information and you need to take the effort to think things through. And if that takes you like a couple months or it takes you years, because some people it takes years to process through all that information, I think you're all capable of doing it. And all these people out there who say that unless you're an expert in evolutionary biology or unless you're like an expert in the sciences that are behind evolution and atheistic evolution, all those people telling you that, they're wrong. They're lying to you. They've gaslit you guys for years. What do you think the motive is for them making it up? Some people don't know that they've been lied to and others are intentionally lying to other people. Yeah, the it. ones that are intentionally lying, what's their motive? Well, at the bottom line, rejection of God is their primary motive. But what form that takes differs from person to person. And but it's unfortunately, like a lot of I, don't, I don't know enough about people to say, well, that person did it because of this and this person did it because of this. The only person I can definitively say something about motives is William Lane Craig. Because he's gone on the record as stating that, you know, you're not supposed to reinterpret the Bible in light of the majority opinion of the scientific and academic community. But then he goes on to do exactly that to justify interpreting the Bible the way he does so he can justify his older of creationism beliefs. That's a guy who literally knows better, has said so publicly, and yet does what he does anyway. Someone like that has made his motives clear, and <laughs> I can say definitive things about him. But there are a lot of people who do not have sinister motives. There are a lot of people who believe in evolution billions of years because that's all they've ever been taught i mean i wasn't exposed to what the bible taught about origins mainly young earth creationism i wasn't exposed to that until my mid-20s you know by then i'd gone through the entire academic system i had my college degree i had only been exposed to evolutionary atheistic uh, older earth creationistic material so i was never uh i never i never grew up knowing about young earth creationism i didn't even know what it really was or taught until i saw the bill nye ken ham debate in 2014 so is there uh was there a question you were gonna ask me before i finish that little monologue <laughs> no no i mean i just i don't have much interest in if it interested me you know i'd be willing to look at this stuff i just it's just not important to me i guess yeah that's uh another factor too is that Having access to information alone is not enough. You have to really want to dig deep into something to really understand it. And for me, because I have a high functioning autism and I have an insane ability to hyper focus on something, it was easy for me to be able to, you know, sit down and take the time and the years necessary to sift through information and, you know, come to my own conclusions. I had the drive to do that just because of who I am and how God made well, me. But. I mean, I can ask you one question. So mm. one thing I just take is being totally incompatible with, I mean, I don't really want to talk about evolution for long, but we can, I can ask you this one question. Mm -hmm. um, it just seems to be completely incompatible with young earth creationism is like the, the existence of Neanderthals and the fact that humans interbred with Neanderthals and we have fossils of people that were half Neanderthal and half human. What do you think about that? Well, I have never done a deep video talking about that, but my initial gut reaction based off of what I do know is that Neanderthals were humans for all intents and purposes. 
and the fact that they could interbreed, so to speak, that kind of proves that they're in the same family. They're humans. So you think they descended from Adam? Ultimately, yes. I mean, I couldn't give you like a specific narrative that explains exactly how that happened. But ultimately, based off of what the Bible says, I conclude that all people on Earth today who exist, as well as the people who existed up until 4,500 years ago, they all descend from the eight people who were on Noah's Ark during the flood of Noah 4,500 years ago. And those eight people descended from Adam and Eve, according to the genealogies provided by the Bible that have numbers attached to them. So that's why I believe that you know, we all come from Adam and Eve from a genealogical perspective. Okay, that's a good answer, I guess. Well, I'm going to let in uh, Brett because, you know, Brett's cool. <laughs> hey TTR, hey godless girl. Hi Brett, hey. glad you're here. If this uh -oh. is if this is the real Mark Reed, please wave your hands. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to be Hello. sure of that. Let yeah, wait, real real Mark Reed, please stand up. Sure. Sure. So now Hello. that now that we are all here, does Brett or Mark have any questions for me or Godless? There's a, there's a couple different things. I won't go too long on the evolution bit because I know that bores the hell out of people. But one of the things you guys brought up was what is the motivation of doing this? Well, first of all, evolution is a billion-dollar business. There's big mm. money in it, and that works really good for the materialistic folks out there. Um, number two, if you look into uh, any of the stuff having to do with scientists who have went against it, They've lost their jobs, they've been discredited, they've been attacked. So it costs people their lives, their careers. That's one of the reasons why it's such a important thing, uh, having to do with this. What was the uh, second deal? Oh, I had asked you out here, I said, uh, why is it so important to be honest and intellectual? How does this benefit atheism? And you gave a good answer, godless girl, but atheists have always declared themselves as representing themselves, individualism, right? So if uh, Aaron Raw gets up on a camera and he crashes and burns or Matt Dillahunty makes himself look like a funky monkey for the millionth time, why why would you care? Why does it matter if these, these two clowns uh, show any kind of uh, advancement in their arguments? I'd like to have a crack at those questions if you, if you allow, Brett. Um, the, the idea that it's a billion-dollar business hasn't really got anything to do with the truth or falsity of it. Um, the same argument is used by flat earthers to sort of say, hey, NASA is a billion-dollar business, you know, aeronautics and space travel is a billion-dollar business, or even more, um, so it can't be true. Um, you know, one thing has nothing to do with the other. Automotive industry is a billion-dollar business. It doesn't mean that internal combustion isn't true. Um, I think that's, uh, um, you know, sort of a um, very, very bad argument that just because a, a, a something is worth a lot, then it can't be true. Um, people I don't think have, he said that, though. He was just asking because I asked earlier, what is the motive for them lying? I don't right, think right. That's why it's false. But well, I don't it, think that's a motive. I think that that's, that's sort of a, a consequence of it being true rather than a motivation to lie. Because if there was another thing happening, 
there would still be scientific research into that other thing that is happening. I mean, scientific research wouldn't stop. Um, it would just be about something else, whatever that thing that they found evidence of is. Um, and people lose jobs not because they go against just because they go against evolution it's because generally they will fail to back up their hypotheses and things like that they don't work within the scientific method in I fact have, evolution uh, i have three books behind me the slaughter of the dissident series mm -hmm. providing a lot of documentation that what you just said is false people do well, get fired from their jobs or kicked out of school or even attempted to be denied their science degrees or whatever other mm. degrees that they're trying to earn based on yep. their descent from the evolutionary atheistic worldview. And Brett is right. There is a lot of money to be gained from saying that evolution is true or that there's evidence supporting it because a lot of the grants that come into these universities are based on, well, someone found evidence supporting evolution's truthfulness. So my yeah. question to you would be, if it's not true that people get fired from their jobs simply mm -hmm. for dissenting from evolution, yes. then why yep. do we actually see this documented in history? Yeah, so the ones that I've seen personally, when people say, hey, they were fired for not backing up evolution or going against evolution, the actual um, papers that they've written haven't been supported by science and the conclusions that they've reached haven't been merited by the work that they've done. They've introduced bias into the papers or they have um, sort of taken research out of context. The amount of times that I've seen papers that come in that have taken other research out of context and misrepresented those other papers. And yes, that will get you a, a black mark against your name in academia, not because you're going against the status quo, but rather because you're mis misrepresenting other people's work. And it happens a lot. Um, and not just to um, um, sort of religious people, it happens to people that are supporting, um, say, uh, that want to prove their research um, and have misrepresented their studies. Look at look at Andrew Wakefield, for instance. I mean, you know, being on the spectrum, I'm on the spectrum. You're, you're aware of Andrew Wakefield. His has nothing to do with religion. Tried to say that autism was um, um, caused by by vaccines, and that that got him blackballed because it's not true. He misrepresented his research, and that's been proven definitively. Um, so, oh, he has absolutely, and his research was well. His his he he had people complaining that he misrepresented his research on investigation. They found exactly that. And I mean, I can go into that. It might be a bit of a hot topic for for this. Um, but the the really interesting thing I want to address is what benefits atheism to have the truth and. It doesn't really, because atheism is just a position, a belief position on one subject, right? That That's all it is. And philosophically speaking, that is all it is. Um, sort of so the truth helps me maintain that position, sure, as it would, you know, the truth wouldn't help you maintain any other position. I don't think it benefits atheism. If you're talking about the larger atheism movement, um, the truth always benefits people because with the truth, you have a better way of, you have a more accurate evaluation of, of reality and your choices are going to be better. So if you're talking about atheism, the position, well, 
I mean, it's a very malformed question. If you're talking about the atheistic movement, um, yeah, having the truth benefits the decisions we make mm. because atheists just aren't atheists. We also are secular humanists and, and believe in other things as well. So having the, the truth helps us make decisions about the world. Well, one of the other things I wanted to bring up too, and not just about the scientist issue, but whenever sure. it comes to materialism and money, I have noticed because I've been doing social media for a very, very long time that uh, atheists were very calm and very chill. They were more into the kind of discussions Godless was talking about, what she actually endorses. She wants the rational intellectual discussion. But I noticed when social media started offering partnerships and money and the ability to make t-shirts and and just sell, sell, sell and build products, um, atheists basically wanted to build a business out of uh, aggressively going after the God concept as well as religious people. If you do a video where you're insulting TTOR, Brett Keen, or any number of theists out there and you're monetized, you're going to make a lot of money. So I don't think it's really so much about the truth or facts. It's about clicks for views. Godless, do you have something to comment on that? Um. Well, yeah, so... Like Matt Dillahunty, for example, I know that he says a lot of stuff that uh, he knows actually doesn't, like, arguments don't actually work and stuff. Uh, or he'll, like, use fallacious reasoning that he just knows. He know He's aware that it's fallacious because he's been in, a, in these debates for so long, but he knows his his audience won't pick up on it. Uh, so that's really dishonest. But, I mean, Matt Dillahunty is, like, basically a millionaire by now. I mean, I think I was, I don't know if the stuff I was looking at or his network is accurate, but. His like enterprise is built upon dishonesty now, or like I could give the random example of Sam Harris has a degree in philosophy, so he knows perfectly well that when he writes a book claiming that he has like a, a science can get us to objective morality, he knows perfectly well that he can't escape the is ought problem. But his his atheist audience, he's going to make millions of dollars off this book, which is dishonest. And his atheist audience is too stupid to pick up on it because they don't know any philosophy, even though he has a degree in philosophy. He knows perfectly well it doesn't work. Well, hey, is right about uh, just so I could chime in. Yeah, Brett sure. is right. Brett is right, though, about atheists on the Internet basically making content, attacking Christians like myself and him and others for money because. A lot of the ones who do it well, they do have like 100,000, 200,000, hundreds of thousands of subs like on YouTube, for example. And their videos will get anywhere from like 80,000 to like hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million plus views. And if their channels are monetized, they actually do make quite a bit of money from Google off of that. So Brett is right that there is definitely a money motivation because the money does exist and it does flow from their content that they make. And you, you can also tell from historical practices of non-believers. Like I said, I've been around on social media. They were calm. They were more chill. There were plenty of chat uh, social media sites where atheists and religious people got along just fine and discussed and mm -hmm. debated things on an intellectual, honest level, uh, like what Godless wants to do and what she's tried to do. But now they get rewarded. 
And remember, do you notice also it's the big mouths that seem to be getting the most views. They know that the more clownish and crazy they act, the more attention they get as opposed to the the more calm, chill types. Well, because they, no, right. they know I, that. I do understand. Um, well, well, I'd like to just sort of interject, if you don't mind, um, just for one second and sort of say that the, the sword cuts both ways, that also you have a lot of Christians attacking atheists a lot. Um, and they get a lot of views as well, um, you know, sort of so that the antics of Hovind with Wacken Atheist has given him a lot of attention, you know, and a lot of views and a lot of money coming in because I think he's got over 200,000 subscribers as well. So Yeah, he does. Um, yeah, so there are, you know, I think that sword cuts both ways and I think there are moderate sort of, you know, reasonable atheists out there like Godless Girl and, and like these people that that don't engage in that kind of, attack politics kind of thing yeah. um but the, the you know I, I won't i won't i certainly won't argue that there are those those people out there and you know they may be doing very well um but but that sword goes both ways and there are there are uh, believers out there who are also sort of doing the attack stuff against atheists for no good reason i can see um, yeah, a well. lot of it to me sounds like theater you know both sides are sort of engaging in this sort of um well, how is it described to me? Like a WWE or whatever wrestling match kind of thing where they're both sort of jumping up and down and yelling and saying, I'll crush you. And, you know, it's all, to me, it's just theatrics. It's, it's you know, I don't take it seriously. But um, it, it is a point. I, I definitely think that there are those atheists out there, sure. sure. As, as yeah. you all know, as you all know, uh, Mr. Kent Hogan was incarcerated for a while where he wasn't even on social media or the internet to do whack an atheist. Whack an atheist was a later on deal that he decided to do. He watches older stuff. He sees a calm guy. You know, I watched some videos while he was in prison by atheists where they made animations of him getting raped in prison. And these are the yes, kind of the content. Now imagine you get out after several years of being in prison you come out you see all these this horrific videos and things like that i'm surprised he hasn't done worse than whacking atheists with spongebob and goofing around and giving that smile right. well that's sort of a two quo quo uh fallacy sort of you know two wrongs don't make a right that that isn't really what what we're after we're, we're after maybe um sort of um coming to the table with some reasonable logical views and sort of saying well i'm not going to be horrible to you just because you're horrible to me because that just escalates things um i remember recently that um some guy called praise i am he made a video of my face superimposed on a band in you know jumping around and doing this and he found it incredibly amusing but and i mean i just laughed it off i just went oh well you know it's um sort of what you expect from some of the more theatrical uh, Christians out there. But, you know, I, I could I could sort of point out instances where people have made videos sort of mocking and deriding me as well. Um, and I'm nobody, you know, I'm, I've got no following. I'm, I'm not anybody in the scene. I'm just a random guy, you know, and, and it's just, yeah, I, I didn't really do anything to warrant that attack. But, um, you know, I must admit it was kind of funny. So I, I guess there's that. But um, you know, th th there are instances of it going the other way as well. I, I think that maybe we've got to stop taking revenge for the things, you know, sort of done to us and sort of start 
um, being authentic and genuine rather than sort of going, well, you mocked me, I'm going to mock you and I'm going to call all Christians this. And look, I, I call it out when people are saying, hey, all Christians are this. I will say, hey, not all Christians are the same. There's a lot of different types. There's, there's mm. you know, it's a myriad of people. You can't lump everybody into one category kind of thing. Um, but and, and the stereotype of the angry atheist, it kind of exists, and there's a number of reasons why that, that exists. But um, the, the stereotype of the um, vengeful, hate-filled hate Christian exists as well, and I think there's good reason for that. <laughs> Stephen Anderson, that's why that exists. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're I, out there, right? I want to ask Mark a question about something yeah, sure, unrelated. Uh, I don't know if you were watching the beginning of the stream about the poll from the atheist experience viewers that only 2% of them think they have a burden to a proof to defend their atheism. What do you think uh, about that? So, yeah, so I get where Matt's coming from. I sort of see that if you're sort of, and let's use a term, I, I kind of dislike it, but a lack theist, right? So, this, this burden of proof is based upon making a claim that there is no God. And that's one that I take on personally. I'm, I'm an a atheist under the philosophy of religion, atheist definition. Um, sort of in, in the atheist community, they're using atheist in a different way. It just means you do not believe a God exists rather than um, you believe that no God exists. Under that definition, you don't necessarily have a burden of proof. But in philosophy of religion, you would more accurately call that a agnostic, not an atheist. So it yeah. depends on how you're using your definitions. Here. But I think they're being like, so this is how I've cornered them is by asking them, do you believe that it's more likely than not that no gods exist? And they'll almost always admit when you phrase it like that. That they do hold that belief so they actually do believe no gods exist that's like a positive belief but they don't want to claim it because they don't know how to defend it is it more likely than not that no gods exist um that that's a difficult question i don't know when when i was sort of more agnostic i don't know how i would answer that because i don't know how i'd put a probability to a god existing if i don't believe that a god exists but to so deny I'd say that would be to say you're totally on the fence and if you had to put your money somewhere you just do a random roll of the die well no no because the default position is that we generally don't believe things until we have the evidence to support them and that goes for everybody not just not just you know me or, or atheists or agnostics um so if somebody comes up to you and says you know um um, I, I, I won a million dollars kind of thing. You, you would just, if you didn't know them and you didn't know it all, you'd just go, oh, okay. And and not, you don't believe them, but you don't believe that they haven't. It's just a, a well, claim. That, that's not that a good is, example. Because we, I mean, we right. have backgrounds beliefs about people lying sure. and like how likely it is to win the lottery. Uh, but mm. I think if you, if you yeah. think that the default position is the correct, the default position of not, um, believing that it's not the case if you don't have evidence yeah. then if you think that's the correct way to go then you think that's the thing that's going to be more likely to get you true beliefs right well i think that that is um a skeptic's default position i'm not sure about anybody else's default position but it's definitely the skeptic's default position um because if you are intellectually consistent then then you would have to 
believe anything that anybody says to you without evidence and i think that's a really bad way to go so no, yeah i, I would say that's true. you can you you just learn have to learn how to argue about making inductive inferences and stuff well, I mean, yeah, but uh, it, it, even if you think it's more likely that they, they a God does not exist, you're still not making a positive claim. You're still not claiming knowledge. So when we're talking a burden of proof, we're talking about a knowledge claim, right? No, no. Look, well, not, I, a lot of Christians won't claim that they know God exists. They just believe God exists. And the atheist is still yeah. going to ask those Christians for evidence, even though they're not claiming to know it. Right. Oh, no, I might ask why they believe it, but I, I'm not going to demand, say, they have a burden of proof if they just claim to believe it. I mean, they can go on believing it. It doesn't doesn't worry me any. Well, usually, oh, I, I was just going to say to wrap this part up, uh, sure. usually when you believe that it's more likely that God doesn't exist than he does exist, or if you believe that it's more likely that God does exist than he doesn't exist, Usually that's because there's something tangible that you've observed in reality that causes sure. you to go one way or the other. And so I think yeah. that's the point that Godless is trying to bring up with you when she oh. asks you her question. Well, well, hold yeah, on. I, think... I, I was going to say to TTR and yeah. Godless, because I know Godless has participated in an unbelievable amount of debates and discussions, whether Discord or on her, sure. uh, her channel. And also other people's stuff. Now, Godless, you have repeatedly, although atheists claim classically the lack of belief in deities, do they not assert that reality dictates that everything, including the universe and life itself, they make the positive claim that it all was a natural process? By doing so, by completely giving this other perception of reality and stating the supernatural does not exist, equals out to burden of proof. Yeah, well, that's another. That's another thing is you, if you ask them, look, do you think life came from you know a god like some other life like a god? They're going to say no, and then it's like, so are you agnostic about a biogenesis? Then well, no, they're going to say they believe life came from non-life, which is a positive position. If they don't admit to that, they're being dishonest. Well, I would exactly. say that that naturalism, like I'm not a hard natural, like I don't believe in naturalism, the philosophical thing that is no supernatural things or no things outside of the natural world can possibly exist. Um, all we've seen is natural things. I only have evidence for natural things. And to, to answer your question about before, if, if you're sort of saying that I have no evidence of a God existing that hasn't been demonstrated to me, that is fulfilling your burden of proof that sort of says, well, you've, you know, like you were talking about physical evidence or some sort of evidence. That's enough um, to, to fulfill that well, I don't believe that because no evidence has been presented to me. If you want to see that as a burden of proof, that you have to prove that no evidence exists, I think that that's completely unrealistic. Um, but to address naturalism for a second, um, I don't exclude supernatural things, but I've got no reason to believe that supernatural things exist. So it's the lack of evidence for the supernatural that that is my, I guess, meeting my burden of proof, if you want to look at it like that. But it's a very strange way to describe not having evidence as being evidence of something. It's, it's very, very strange. May um, I, TTR, may I throw something out for Mark to see what his uh, view is on something? Sure, go sure. ahead. we still got some time. Okay, so most uh, most religious people that I've experienced, as well as non-believers, accept the common theory of the Big Bang. 
uh, basically yeah. that there was a point where time and space and matter came into existence. So would you not mm. say that whatever started this was outside of time, space, and nature because nature doesn't create itself? Isn't that by definition the origin of the universe, Big Bang, a supernatural uh, association? So that's sort of a misconception of exactly what the Big Bang is. So the Big Bang is the description of the rapid expansion of space-time mm -hmm. um, from from the start. And we sort of go, okay, well, at one point, we kind of know because of this evidence that we have on cosmology that it used to be a singularity, a point in space that's very, um, very small and very dense, insanely dense, basically, just insanely small and dense. However, however, we don't know the origins of the universe. We don't know where that came from. Um, we, we can see backwards as far as um, one Planck second, which is an infinitely small amount of time before where we sort of presume the origin would have been when we sort of say, hey, that's where the origin is. But we can't actually see back to that, that point because physics kind of breaks down at that point when you start to get into singularities and, you know, incredibly um, complex stuff. It just sort of breaks down. So... Um, the Big Bang isn't technically the origin of the universe. The Big Bang just describes the rapid expansion of the singularity from a very, very dense, um, um, small state to the universe as we see it at the moment. Um, well, I, I don't claiming, know where the claiming that from. the nature and space and time itself came into existence. And if you don't have mm -hmm. nature, then you don't have the laws of nature. Therefore, by definition, the very definition of something that exists outside the laws of nature. The universe, by definition, is supernatural in origin. Yeah, if the law you said the laws of physics are breaking down at the Big Bang. So if when that so then like whatever state was part of that, like is either mm -hmm breaking or transcending the laws of physics, which is supernatural by definition. But I actually have yep. to get going. So thanks for having me on. Okay, it's always a pleasure to hear you, Godless. I love your intellectual honesty. You keep rocking. Thanks. Thank Bye, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for joining. Yeah, so physics is the description of the laws within our universe. Like, I, I don't know because I don't know what was around before the, the Big Bang. I, I don't know, right? So, um if 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 there what is a larger cosmos that has different laws of physics because physics just describe the way that physical interactions happen within our universe there's the, they're the laws of our universe it may still be natural there might just be different parameters and effects of of physics happening um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anything outside the universe like a, a larger cosmos. I don't know. Um, whether because there's another and, and, and bigger question is that if, if the universe um, expanding and from the singularity created space time and, and time is just another dimension of space, um, if space time was, was sort of um, um, the origins were, were the start of the universe, then if it, there was no time before the universe, what are we kind of talking about as before? Like, there can't be a before if there's no time. So it is quite possible that um, upon, like, when the singularity was condensed, time is slowing, 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 slowing until it is essentially eternal, 
essentially. But we don't know. This is the problem. We can't see into that. Um, it's also multiverse theory. That there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, M theory, membrane theory is also a thing. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, theories that we're currently, they're really hypotheses that we're currently playing with to, to find out what where the universe came from and, and what's outside of the universe, if outside is even a concept. Um, well, I, I understand, Mark, that yeah. atheists on YouTube have their own different interpretation of what the Big Bang is. But if you guys mm. don't mind, this is from NASA themselves. This is their website sure. right here. Sure. They say the Big Bang is how astronomers explain the way the universe began. It is the idea mm -hmm. that the universe began as just a single point that expanded and stretched to grow as large as it is. Yep. Well, during this stretching or expansion process, the nature came into existence in space and time. Now, because there was a moment in this where uh, nature did not exist, that it actually had to go through this process to be defined as the universe, that means that there was no laws of nature, therefore, by definition, supernatural. Does this make um, sense to you, TTOR? I see you over there. I hope I'm not putting you to sleep, brother. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm just uh, typing out a message to someone. But, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, just because we don't understand laws of physics doesn't mean it's not natural. Nowhere in there did they say that, that the Big Bang wasn't, there was an origin point that was not natural or was not according to the laws of nature. Um, I think you're, you're sort of reading that into it, and that's not what it says. Um, sort of. He is kind of reading into it a little bit, but that's because the Big Bang theory, as you've described it, much like hmm. evolution only describes what happens after a certain point evolution at least in the biological sense only describes what happens after that first life comes into existence right. and then right. as you're saying big bang cosmology is what descri it describes what happened after that singularity came into existence and correct right, yeah. right after it exploded basically well, so, exploded is a bad term. It, it expands. Well, it, it rapidly, rapidly, rapidly expanded or stretched. Rapid way expansion, you wanna. yeah. Yeah, so it only describes what happened after that point. But the issue right. that Brett's referring to is the origin of that point even existing in the first place. And that's the part where I think you're saying we don't know. There's yeah, another thing, too. Uh, there's another thing here, too, TTOR, that I... That I get a chuckle out of. I've heard a lot of non-believers like Aaron Ross, I, Dan, mm. all this, where they say, no, it was an expansion. It wasn't an explosion. But right, right yeah. here on the NASA website, <laughs> the NASA website, it says the explosion. Sounds like they need an editor, according to Mark. Maybe, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, from, from my understanding, it was a rapid expansion, sort of, so an explosion has a number of things where um, it, it suggests that that there's there's sort of matter being um, thrown out kind of thing. It's just a, a a less precise way of doing it. Perhaps they wrote it that way so people would understand um, sort of because a rapid expansion doesn't really give you the scope of how fast it's expanding, like at the speed of light, like 300,000 metres per second kind of roughly. Um, so... Uh, they may have written it that way to appeal to, you know, people's understanding of commonplace things. Um, because if you say a rapid expansion, it's like, oh, so like somebody blowing up a balloon. No, 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 way faster than that, like incredibly faster than that. 
Well, fair enough. Now, you do obviously realize, everybody, that whenever they said that this happened, not only mm -hmm. did it create this expansion, but it was also unbelievably hot. And this is where yeah. things started to cool down in the universe and do all this. So we've got this, uh, extremely hot elements. So it makes sense that they would use words like explosion. It's only the only people that I have noticed that seem to have an issue with that word explosion are some of the uh, top atheists out there on YouTube. Uh, well, I mean, cosmologists sort of pointed out as well. I'm sure Neil deGrasse Tyson pointed it out at one point that it is a rapid expansion and not really an explosion. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure he pointed out, but I mean, I could find you some some other sort of uh, uh, cosmologists who would sort of say the same thing. I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I guess. But, um, you know, I, I think that explosion suggests sort of a destructive kind of thing where it wasn't destructive. It wasn't sort of matter being ejected like a, a bomb explodes. You know, it basically destroys a whole load of things by ejecting uh, matter, um, you know, out, out into the to the world and you know that will destroy stuff by impact i i think that that's i mean you could say that you could say it's an explosion but you'd be using a a, a sort of word that i'm not 100 percent sure would, would be accurate but let me let me see what i can find for you so while he's doing that i'd just like to point out to peter here that brett does not need to go to kent hovind or a physicist to understand the big bang cosmology concept he just needs the internet and wikipedia yeah, I mean, it's the information's all out there. There's thousands of documentation. This isn't like, uh, you know, some kind of complicated deal here. They they pretty much simplify it for you, even for a five-year-old to be able to understand. They believe the universe had a beginning and that nature came into existence and the laws. And before that, there was no laws because what? There was no nature. So supernatural. Right. I think uh, right. I, th I think one thing. By the way, hello everybody. How's everybody doing? Hey, Aiden. Hello. Everybody's doing Hi. great. Yeah. Yeah, that's What's good. Going I'm on glad to hear. Um, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Thank you. I just wanted to say I think one thing everybody can agree, at least come to a commonality, uh, whether you believe in God or not, is the fact that we've made such incredible strides in understanding the universe around us and how it actually under actually works and functions and how all of those different functions group together and interact with one another, even within the last hundred years, we've made such incredible strides towards that understanding. And I think that either believing in God or not, that still facilitates a better understanding of whether it be creation or cosmology or anything in between how the universe came about and the beauty within it. I think that it's important for everybody to have a better understanding of that. I do agree that it is true that there's been a lot of advancements made in the understanding of how this reality works when we observe it in action, where the disagreements come in is how to interpret that. And that's where worldviews kick sure. in, your beliefs, sure. your presuppositions, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, your faith, that influences how you interpret anything. I hate to uh, I hate to quote them because I don't like AIG, but <laughs> AIG mm. actually does have it right, where they talk about how the lens that you view the world with determines how you interpret the world. Basically, if you see if you have a lens that says atheistic evolution, 
that's what you're going to see when you look at the world. If you have a lens that says, you know, biblical creation, you wear that when you observe the world, that's what you're going to see. That explains the differences in worldviews and how people interpret data, even though we're all looking at the same thing. Well, PQR, what is your what is your thoughts on the, the claim that everybody's been talking about lately? That's uh, been real exciting, uh, where they're stating that rocks, according to these different science websites, and for some reason the non-believers don't like to get into a discussion about it, but they're stating that uh, some kind of uh, minerals and chemicals came out of a granite rock, and that's how evolution started. Now. It used to be a vent and waves. It used to be primordial ooze, and now it's uh, rocks. That they Isn't that, well, uh, I, I, that if I could biogenesis? Go ahead. Yeah, that's abiogenesis. If I just could, I just want to want to sort of push back against that idea that evolution is atheistic. It's not. It's there's a, there's many people who are Christians, uh, Muslims, um, Buddhists, all kinds of different faiths doing work on evolution. In hmm. fact, um, the largest denomination of Christianity, the Catholic Church, accepts evolution. In its, sure, in its yeah. Oh, I so know. I had a Catholic in my live room earlier who was uh, pushing and endorsing for evolution. Only took about two or three questions to get him to finally admit that he doesn't even really know what he's talking about on it. Well, that aside, there's people well, like uh, Francis Collins, for instance, who used to head up the Human Genome Project, and he was a very, very devout, devout Christian. Um, and and he sort of you know absolutely acknowledged the um, the the truth of evolution and sort of you know he he'd been doing the human genome project so it, it's not just just an atheistic thing I'm, I'm sorry I really got to push back on that because it isn't just an atheistic thing it's it's a it's a scientific thing and and tons of people are involved in science of all different religions mm -hmm. so it cannot be an atheistic thing it just isn't well I well, know that there's religious folks that uh, go along with that go ahead TTOR and then I'll I was it. I was just gonna say yes there's a lot of Christians that believe in evolution billions of years and big bang cosmology but biblical history and church history shows that there have been Christians compromising on what the Bible teaches throughout its entire existence. So it's not really that big of a surprise to me that there would be Christians out there who believe and teach things that are contrary to the scriptures they claim to believe in. It's been well, happening was, in all of history. If the like scriptures disagree with scientific evidence, which one do you believe first? Like if you've got irrefutable scientific evidence and they clearly um um conflict with with what the scriptures say which one do you believe now i don't think i will ever come to this point because i don't think there's anything in reality that can support evolution due to the fact that it takes way too long to even be recorded or experimented on to verify it's a naturally occurring process but in your hypothetical scenario i would have sure. to go with what's observable and proven to be true all right. Okay. Do you, Mark, do you believe that it's yeah. uh, objectively true that humans uh, evolved from rocks? Um, uh, so evolved from rocks is sort of a straw man of the abiogenesis position. I can't say that I believe in abiogenesis. It's a hypothesis at this point. Um, I don't know where life came from. 
if you're saying, do I believe in evolution, that evolution explains the biodiversity of life, then yes, absolutely. There's overwhelming evidence for it. Mm. Um, and I, I, I like talking about evolution. I'm happy to go into it with you. Okay, but, so what, um, uh, what evidence do we have that yeah. humanity uh, came from rocks? Okay, so again, man coming from rocks is a straw man position um of the abiogenesis position it's basically man came from chemicals and chemi biochemical reactions would be a more accurate way to say it if you are at all interested in accuracy um but as i said and i'll, I'll repeat myself that i don't necessarily believe in abiogenesis um there could be other explanations there's panspermia is an explanation there's, there's other explanations of where humans came from or life came from rather i should say but yes i do believe in evolution which only explains the biodiversity of life it doesn't explain the origin of life and that's what you've kind of got to understand well panspermia is not much different from the whole rock concept is it I mean, the idea is mean? That some, some goo basically was sitting on a rock anyway. It just happened to be out in space first, and it magically somehow survived the, the impact of hitting Earth and then went into its uh, its uh, self-replicating cell. Not necessarily. That is it's one. not even necessarily a matter of yeah. magic either. Um, well, yeah, just just one just sec. Gonna, I'll just address sorry, that. Sorry, Aiden. Oh, you can you can go straight after me. Um, so the other explanations is some kind of intelligent organism, like basically aliens. I don't believe that because there's no evidence for it. But it is right. an alternate Fermi paradox. Fermi right, paradox so, is so evidence against why it. I sure. use the word um, magic, and I'm having fun with it a little bit here. Is TTOR? Hmm. You've probably seen a dozen movies or so in your lifetime of. What happens when an asteroid or a rock hits the Earth? It's it's not a pretty sight. I mean, depend upon is, yeah, depend upon how big it is. It's not so. A pretty sight. So they're telling <laughs> us that there's this goo about the size of toothpaste sitting on a damn rock that's a hundred billion times bigger than the goo. It's going to hit the Earth and somehow manage to survive <laughs> the impact and destruction, an apocalyptic type of event like this. You see what well, I'm saying? Only, you only one bacteria is going to survive. Sorry, Aiden. Well, uh, no, that's also true, but it couldn't also necessarily just... Yeah, I was, sorry. Uh, can you guys hear me? I can hear yeah, you. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I just wanted to make sure you guys could hear me before I said anything. It's not even necessarily a matter of it just being on the surface of it either. It could also be within the asteroid as well. I mean, we have myriad different artifacts of all kinds of meteorites that hit the Earth and have a continuing collection of that which grows every single year and not only that we have evidence of plenty of life forms which are extremely resistant to vacuum like conditions like the most famous one obviously being the tardigrade which is able to survive perfectly comfortably mm -hmm. in the vacuum of space for quite extended periods of time so i don't necessarily i know you're saying you're having fun i know you're saying that you're having fun with magic brett and i understand don't get me wrong i understand using colorful language it's a very fun thing to do in conversation but I think that it is a very plausible thing if that were to have happened, but it's just one of countless other hypotheses that have been proposed as to how life has come about. I mean, there are other there are other places even in our solar no system. There's no evidence for it either. No, so, no, there isn't any evidence. So mm. earlier, uh, uh, gosh, I'm forgetting your name. You said that uh, you said that you didn't necessarily believe in abiogenesis. So Mark, that prompted Mark. me. Hmm. That prompted me to go look up the article on abiogenesis, and there mm -hmm. are two parts in particular I want to read for our viewing audience. 
Oh, what? stromatolites. They're actually in my state. I have seen them. They're awesome. They're, they're so old. They're like relics from the past, cyanobacteria. Incredible. Yeah. See them if you can. Well, TTOR, the... TTR, you mind if I throw something out there? For some reason, this is another thing non-believers don't get, and it's going to go great with what you're doing. Okay. Now, a lot quickly. of atheists don't realize this, but abiogenesis is defined as the original evolution of life or living organisms mm -hmm. from inorganic or inanimate substances. So it is actually a part of the evolution process. It's the very origin, what got it going. So yeah. I don't know why anybody who believes in evolution. Yeah, it says here that uh, abiogenesis is not a single event, but it's an evolutionary process. So if to me, if you're going to believe in evolution, you really should be believing in abiogenesis as well, especially when you go to the section that talks about the earliest evidence of life and the strombolites you were referring to, because that's all okay. part of abiogenesis i'm gonna well, go get you some fair, more to be I'm fair if we're gonna water look up, and then i rejoin you handsome fellows sure, all right? sure um to be fair if you want to look up abiogenesis in in wikipedia and say that's what it is because um this is sort of an argument that i've heard from some some theists they sort of go oh well there's multiple different types of evolution and technically that's true there's stellar evolution there's there's sort of biological evolution there's 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 a number of different types and and you're sort of using the same argument when people talk about evolution they're talking about biological evolution in a colloquial sense and i understand that there's other types but when when we're talking about evolution we're talking about biological evolution so evolution basically if you look that up in wikipedia to be fair um you looked it up and it says it was an evolutionary process Mm -hmm. Evolution is the change in heritable characteristics of biological populations over successive generations. That is all that it is. It isn't abiogenesis, which is the evolution from sort of um, bioorganic chemicals to some form of life. So um, they're clearly differentiating between the two. And when people use evolution in ordinary parlance, they're talking about biological evolution. So this sort of conflating with other types I don't think that's very, um, I'm sorry, I don't think that's very honest. What I'm confused by is why you don't seem to be wanting to look at the bigger picture of bringing it all together. Because if evolution is just about mm -hmm. changes in a population, and abiogenesis yeah. explains where all those populations even came from in the first place in the ultimate sense, which apparently the current theory is that uh, bacteria, microbes, formed on rocks near these thermal vents underneath the ocean in like the, well, at least these fossils are from the yeah. northern Quebec area. I just don't see how we're misconstruing anything when we talk about, in the ultimate sense, men do come from rocks, not in the, because that's a very simplified approach that I know you don't like, but when you right. look at the bigger, more detailed picture and you trace the evolution timeline of all organisms all the way back, eventually you come to this place where you see, okay, well, bacteria formed on rocks near hydro, uh, hydrothermal vents underneath what would be the ocean, and that's where the first life came, and then all the evolution took place after that point. So I don't yeah, know why... I don't know why you're having a problem with us talking about that. Well, may I'd I like to address add, that. Well, I'd like to address that, that first off. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I was going to say... Uh, I don't understand why there's an issue with it either. That's straight out of the dictionary. That's not my yeah. 
Newton and I didn't just invent it on the draw. It's uh, yeah. right there on the page that he's showing as well as the very definition itself. Well, so. then I'll address that too. Um, so I'd like, just like to address that, that, that basically, yeah, it does, it does interest me. It concerns me. I think that warm vents is probably the best hypothesis as far as I'm aware, and I'm not a um, biologist or, or a paleobiologist. So, um, you know, I might be wrong, but I have to rely on the scientific community to provide the answers. I'm not doing research into abiogenesis myself. I have to rely on experts. So I, I am interested in it, and I am interested in the alter, alternating hypotheses that people working in abiogenesis are coming up with. But because they're hypotheses and there are competing hypotheses, um, like warm vents, like panspermia, like like all of these different hypotheses that they have, um, I don't know which one is correct, if any of them, because they haven't, like they don't know themselves. So how could I possibly, as a layperson, go? Well, I'm going to decide which one of these abiogenesis, if any, are correct. I would rather have the position that. I don't know which one is correct, if any, um, and 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 be honest because um, I don't know enough about um, chemical interactions and and paleobiology to un know which one is the correct one. I'm not just gonna, you know, throw my hat into the warm vent theory just because I think it might be the most likely one, the one that is being supported by a majority at the moment. Because until it becomes scientific consensus and a theory. Uh, they're basically saying that they don't know for sure. And I think that's fine. They're still continuing to investigate. And it does concern me. Absolutely. Um, Brett mentioned um, that's the dictionary definition. And I guess you've missed my point. It's just because something mentions the word evolution as a descriptor doesn't mean it's referring to biological evolution. Because mm. things will say the evolution of our solar system, like how accretion disks formed the solar system and stellar evolution is a thing it's just a word but when we use the word in common speak we're talking about biological evolution so well, and know, that's where know. i'm still confused because right if we're talking about biological evolution then ultimately mm -hmm. on the grand cosmic scale of biological evolution you have yep. all organic uh life ultimately originating from bacteria that formed on rocks under the ocean by hydrothermal vents, according to the prevailing current uh, consensus. Right, right. So I don't see how that's not part of biological evolution. Because well, that's the impression just, I'm getting from you. Well, evolution, well, the theory, abiogenesis isn't. So um, evolution has met its burden of proof. It, you know, you may disagree, but scientifically it has. Um, so it is now theory um, by scientific consensus. It is it is theory. Um, uh, abiogenesis isn't. So they do know how uh, um, evolution works um, down to a startling degree, but they don't seem to know exactly how abiogenesis works. They've taken a number of steps, like they've they've got. I think there's there's something like a hundred and. 27 steps and they've got 40 so I, I i'm really struggling to remember but they've got some of the steps that don't have all of it so i, 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 I want to touch uh, on something that uh, mark mentioned earlier uh earlier you mentioned that because you lack in knowledge regarding scientific uh basically biology 
and you were right to acknowledge. I think it was a good thing to acknowledge that, you know, you could be wrong. So could sure. I about a lot of things, but sure. I'm just kind of disturbed by the, the, the general attitude that you have psychologically that, well, because I'm not, you know, a super expert on this topic in the, I have mm -hmm. a degree sense that somehow, you know, I'm not qualified to talk about these things. Why can't you just look at all the available information that you can that's, you know, simplified enough to understand in the way you understand things? Why can't you just look at that information and come to your own conclusions instead of just trusting the experts because they came to a consensus? Okay, so I, I did well, not say that I could not talk about it. I never said that at all. So that's a complete misrepresentation of my position. I already said that I don't, I don't see enough evidence for me to support abiogenesis as I know this to be true. However, I do see more than enough evidence, overwhelming evidence for biological evolution, if, if you want to get precise. Um, to support that theory, uh, the theory of evolution. So I reserve the right to say that I don't know if not enough evidence has been presented to me and not enough evidence has been presented to me for abiogenesis. I think it's the most likely, um, but not enough evidence has been presented to me. So, hey, I'm, I know that, that I, am, I believe that to be true because, as I said, there could be panspermia. There's a lot of other hypotheses out there. I, I reserve the right to say I don't know. And I don't know why right. anyone would be uncomfortable saying I don't know when they truly don't know. I, I don't jump into it, read some stuff, and then go, well, I'm going to pick the best one and believe that. I think it's okay to say I don't know. I think that's and I agree with you. So I agree with you that it's okay to say that you don't know. What I'm yeah. just saying is earlier you made it sound like uh, – because you weren't uh, a biologist, that basically you were just going to trust whatever they say because you didn't know enough to know if what they're telling you is right or wrong. And that's kind of right. where my question is coming from. It's not because you don't know something or whatnot. It's just why do you feel like you have to defer to them in everything well, when you could just, you know, come to your own conclusions? It's not everything. It, it's that the consensus is made up of papers that have passed peer review, right? This, this process that we have, um, the scientific method. Now, the scientific method is responsible for giving us every single piece of technology we have today mm. and most of the things we know about, about everything, basically. And it's a very particular process, one that, you know, I had to study in university. It is something that we acknowledge has some flaws um especially as far as you know sort of um statistical research anyway there's there's a few flaws but it seems to be the best method we have on deciding what is uh true and what is not true about reality mostly about physical reality um if you have a better method that's that's great but you'd have to demonstrate it is more reliable than the scientific method so i'm more talking about the scientific process that produces a scientific consensus than the opinions of the people themselves. Their opinions don't matter. The papers that are supported by the process do matter. Well, I would be careful about that because if you just do a basic Google search about problems with peer review, you're going to be busy sure. for the next 20 years. And, and I acknowledge we are this, what we've but heard it seems to be the best.
best well, thing we have from at the Mark moment. on this is that uh, he's not confident about the experts on the abiogenesis, but he's pretty confident about the evolution. So we can move past if it's panspermia or aliens dropped us here. We can get right into the evolution if that's uh, okay. no, no. That's that's misrepresenting me. I've got to push back on that because it's not that I'm not confident in the experts. The experts themselves say that we haven't reached a consensus about the origin of life. So, you know, I am confident in the experts. So that's completely misrepresenting me. It's that they are saying that they're not a hundred percent sure. So. Nice try, Brett. Nice try, but misrepresentation. Maybe. So oh, fair enough, fair enough. We uh, we got about fifteen out. minutes left uh, before we need sure. to get out of here, and I was going to give Aiden a chance to lead us in a discussion since he hasn't really said much so far. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I the only thing I was going to say as far as commenting on what we were going, uh, what we were talking about rather earlier was that one of the things a lot of people bring up is things like the Miller-Urey experiment, the fact that when you have certain simulations, what we believe anyways to be early Earth conditions simulated that complex organic molecules can form abiotically, basically, that there doesn't need to necessarily be biological processes in order to form complex organic molecules. And that was actually proven even further in the 1970s with the launching of the Voyager probes, because although we didn't have much of a good concept or understanding of what Saturn's moon Titan was at that point, we were extremely interested in it because we realized that it was the only other body in our solar system that was a roughly Earth-sized object that actually had any kind of atmosphere that clung to it. So there was an immediate fascination in this body and was actually the reason why the Voyager 1 spacecraft wasn't targeted towards Pluto. It could have went towards Pluto and would have actually flown by it in the 80s rather than New Horizons in 2015. But anyways, when we ended up going to see Titan, when Voyager 1 flew by, what we saw was an atmosphere that seemed to contain, once again, a whole bunch of these advanced organic molecules, these advanced hydrocarbons. And surely enough, when the Cassini spacecraft visited Saturn later on in the 2000s, what we came to realize was is that it wasn't actually even just Titan that had these organic complex molecules that we could detect. It was also uh, the moon Enceladus. And Enceladus actually has a leg up on Titan because although Titan does have an atmosphere and it does have even oceans worth of these organic molecules, propane, ethane, um, and the materials with which they can, with which they can interact with one another and form an atmosphere. Something we thought that only organic molecules would be able to form these sorts of things. But, anyways, it's in a very cold environment. When the uh, the Huygens part of the Cassini Huygens spacecraft touched down on Titan, it was only able to last for a little over an hour before it just completely froze solid because of how cold it is. But the difference is, is that Enceladus, the other moon of Titan that I referred to, a much more uh, closer moon to the to Titan, is also responsible for its E-ring, but that's because of its geysers that it has beneath its surface. It was something that the Voyager spacecraft never detected on its southern face and part of its moon. It's these gigantic geysers. And when we detect the molecules that come out of these geysers, not only are they organic, complex molecules coming out of these geysers, they're coming from a warm ocean environment. So what I'm trying to say here is this isn't definitive evidence that there's life elsewhere in the solar system, but 
there are other environments that are way more likely even than places like Mars. Europa is another great candidate for Jupiter that are very good contenders for life outside of our Earth. And I think if we find life outside of our Earth, I think that it proves that it's something that is very much so something that has to be common throughout the universe, that it has to be, even if it only evolves to a very primitive state before it's cut off by whatever factor or circumstance, there probably is going to be a myriad of life out there. So sorry, uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say TTOR. I'm going to be getting out of here to get me a good Chinese dinner with my wife. It was awesome. The interview that you did with Godless Girl, you did great. And I felt like she did fantastic. As far as the planets and the worlds and all that, I find it very inconvenient and sad for evolution that it hasn't been able to produce one single sentient life on any of the billions of supposed planets that exist or what we've observed. How would we tell? Um, well, I was just about to say the only things that we've actually been able to bring out to these environments in the solar system are things that are able to detect these things, detect these molecules because of things like radar and sonar and other um, imaging devices, which we can read the bandwidth of the image. What is it? The spectroscopy. Yeah. yeah Mass spectrometry. Yeah. These molecules. Yeah. But these things. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But. We haven't ever had spacecraft go out there that are capable of drilling down into the surface of Europa, for example, or going and actually seeing the geysers of Enceladus and getting a sample of the molecules that are coming off of it. Now, if we ever do get one out there, I wouldn't be surprised if it does at least prove that there's even more potential for even more advanced com chemical compounds being produced abiotically if not life itself. And I think that that's just another step closer to the big difference, the chasm, at least I've observed in the creation evolution debate, which is we've been able to have all of the components that can make life, that can put life together, but we've never been able to animate it, so to speak. We've never been able to right. make it so that it can reproduce itself. So that is the point in which we'll, it really won't even be a matter of debate that life is going to be something that's able to create itself. And I'm not saying that as if that's a certainty. It's by no means a certainty. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's something that only time is ultimately going to be able to tell in, in, as far as how we're going to continue on our experimentations and understand and expand our data that we have available to us. And we haven't even managed to get a probe to the next star, much less to the billions of planets that we estimate are out there. I think the the furthest we've got is is sort of just outside of the Oort cloud, um, around the edge of the the solar system kind of thing. And that's a uh, Voyager. Is it Voyager one? Or Voyager you know, two? I, I, I wish we were as far as the Oort cloud. The Oort cloud is actually something that Voyager oh, really? one isn't going to reach for a couple centuries it's so far away even though it's traveling yeah. i think it's like 20 or 30 times faster than a bullet but that, and that is... just proves how immense our solar system itself is and i but, think if our solar yeah. system has so many things that point towards that give us these clues towards how life could potentially emerge in other parts of the universe i think that speaks very profoundly to how likely it could even potentially be for these other complex beings to exist elsewhere sorry i'll let you go ahead <laughs> no, it's just uh, yeah. That the like the I think the and correct me if I'm wrong, Aiden. The the closest star to us is sort of four point two light years away, and if you actually look at the measurements, it's an unfathomably long distance away. Like it just unfathomably. Um, 
there's yes. no way we can check for life on on billions of planets, much less a planet outside of our solar system. The closest the closest thing we've been ever able to even hypothesize with our current technology to be able to go and even visit one of these, like even just to visit Proxima Centauri, which is the star that you just referenced, the one that's four point two light years away. Which yes, that is indeed how distant it is. Um, the best thing that we have is a project called Breakthrough Starshot. And what Breakthrough Starshot is, is it's a hypothesis that you could essentially take a very small space probe. We're talking something that's maybe the size of, like, the tip of your thumb. And have it accelerated with lasers, accelerated with this laser technology to the point where it's about... We could probably theoretically get it to about 25% the speed of light with an immense amount of electricity. We're talking like the yearly consumption of the entire country of Germany or another large country's amount of electricity to accelerate just one of these things towards it. And we wouldn't want to just accelerate one because all, all matter of things between us and that star could destroy it on the way there. It's such a small object. We'd want to send a whole bunch of them in order for that to be a successful mission. So although there is feasible for us to maybe one day get vague a vague understanding of these other stars without faster than light technology i think that there's going to be a lot of answers that are going to elude us for many centuries as far as this is concerned and that it it's certainly not going to be an answer we'll likely ever have in our lifetime unfortunately so as i sit here listening to all of this the only real observation that i can make definitively is that i hear a lot of you know possibly i believe a lot of hopeful almost seems like wishful thinking on my side that one day we're going to find things and discover things that will prove that naturalistic origins of life are real and not just hypothetical that's what i mean I you're very seem to be hearing you're, you're you're very well um you're very well capable of interpreting it that way i just think that when you look at the available data that's available to us even in our solar system as i said before i think that it is something that is certainly not at all something that's outside of the realm of possibility i don't think maybe maybe it is wishful thinking to imagine that there is other life out there but i i personally would find it profoundly sad if we were the only life that would ever come to exist in such a vast universe that we were the only speck well, in such a vast and I, I will apologize for using the term wishful thinking because it kind of came no, off negative okay. i was i couldn't think no of no that's okay yeah, um, i think i think, okay. I think brett brett brought up earlier the fermi paradox which is yeah. a good very good point that that the chances of there not being life somewhere else in the universe um if you look at it scientifically are so small like it's just a, it is so big that the chances that we're the only life in the universe is almost zero basically but well, if you look at things like the drake equation yeah 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 and and sort of so so but the chances of one of them becoming technologically advanced enough to travel technologically advanced enough to travel to us um because the universe is so so vast the chances are almost zero so we wouldn't expect to see another life form um and i think that is that that's the paradox essentially so what you're saying if i'm hearing this right is that mm. because the universe is so big that even if there are advanced alien civilizations out there with technology beyond ours 
The universe yep. is so big that we're just not going to run into them. Yeah, essentially, that's the paradox. Yeah, and that very well that's could be not true. What I got from the paradox Wikipedia page, basically, well, the, all right. the paradox is, from what I understand, mm -hmm. that we don't have any observable evidence that aliens exist but because evolution is true and because deep time is true that and because the universe is so big it's mathematically impossible for uh advanced aliens to not exist or some kind of alien civilization kind, alien yes. race yeah. to not exist yeah i think i think it's very i think the fermi paradox is very often used almost as like a vehicle of frustration for some people to express that okay well if there's life and if this universe is so gigantic and we've been able to observe it as as much as we have within such a short period of time then why haven't we found any aliens by now the paradox really basically easy. is attempting to answer why we have no observable evidence of aliens even though according to evolutionary thinking uh they should exist that, yeah and we should have seen them by now at least some people think I, we should have seen them by now. I think that's a very silly notion though. I think that that's the equivalent of if you land on a new continent and you're trying to find some you're trying to find any kind of life and you land on the western Sahara in Africa and you look around for like I don't know you look around for a couple of feet around you, you kind of scan the surroundings around you, you're able to have a basic understanding of your exact landing site, but you just come to the conclusion, eh, I haven't found anything yet, there just must not be anything. I think that just, I think the fact that we've only been able to observe the universe in any depth of detail, really, beyond just the very basics of what's around us and what we can directly observe, I think that to come to the conclusion, well, there just must not be any, I'm not saying that this is what you're doing, but I'm just saying that for anybody to come to the conclusion that there is no other life out there, that there is no other even intelligent life out there is a little bit, um, it's, it, it's a bit quick. It's a bit of a, a very quick conclusion to come to given the very small amount of data we have available to us on it. Well, from so where, wanna... go ahead. So I want to ask a question. Are you a young earth creationist? Absolutely. Do you accept that stars are sort of 4.6 um, light years away from us? That is being used as a unit of measurement, yes. But I'm, right. not, I'm not really a big fan of the term itself because of how it's used. Do you believe so, that light can... Okay, so do you believe in the variable speed of light then? Do you think that because we observe these things that are such a huge measure distance away from us that there's no that there's either no correlation between that and time or that that time can be distorted in any way. Sorry, I'm just trying to understand what you mean by that. Yeah, I have seen the creationist hypothesis about how time can be basically manipulated into not being what we see. And I have studied Big Bang cosmology enough to know that at the beginning of the process, like when the rapid expansion first happened, until the point where it started to slow down. But basically the speed of light during that brief window of time was much faster than it is today. And then just like the expansion of the universe, it started to slow down after a certain point until it gets to the point where the speed of light is what it is today. And the expansion rate of the universe is what it is today. That's I don't think I've the speed of light was faster at the Big Bang. I don't think the speed of light changed. It's sort of a constant 
um, C is a is a constant, like it's the speed of, the of light in the vacuum. Well, it wasn't uh, it wasn't creationist resources that I read that from? Although I don't remember okay. what it was that I read from. Yeah, there's, there's it may be them. something to do with it. May be something to do with space because um, not, nothing, according to Einstein, nothing can travel faster than the speed of light. But aside from that, space can kind of do whatever it wants. Like so, um, the curvature of space can affect um, the the sort of way that 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 time elapses and and the way that that but the the speed of something. I'm I'm, I'm really. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not a not a physicist either. But as far as I know, the speed of light is in a vacuum is an absolute constant of c. It's, it's roughly around three hundred thousand meters per second. Yeah. Well, we are running out of time, so I am going to have to cut us off here soon. But you will be pleased to know that even though I'm a young earther, I'm not a flat earther. Well, yeah. To yeah. be honest with you, and I You're don't mean this progress, to be CTOR. Maybe one day we'll get you there. No, yeah, CTOR. I, I don't mean to be insulting. I honestly think that both have about the same evidence for them, and I don't mean that in an insulting way. That's just what I think. They, they young well, that, does not have a lot of evidence. For the main them. problem with flat Earth theory. Telling you today, what is it? Hold on a minute. Right. I just there we go. The uh, main reason I don't believe in flat earth theory actually has nothing to do with the shape of the earth, although there are problems with what they say regarding that. It's actually their right. denial of outer space that gives me a problem because the Bible doesn't deny outer space's existence. Well, I mean, that's not the only problem, let's face it. Right, right. But space. that's the main one that makes me go, right, yeah, right, okay. not going to entertain anything else because mm -hmm. that's a big problem. <laughs> well, well I, I guess from my point of view, they, they both sort of have the same mm -hmm. evidence for them because of, you know, stuff like radioactive decay and the speed of light um, hitting us from, from other stars and, um, you know, even ice core samples and things like this. Um, I did a debate recently with Tim I hate Locke to cut you off ghost man but we are That's about right. to end sure. so sure. I'm gonna let Mark finish is, it a, is it a quick question is it a quick question ghost man yeah uh, really is it true I found out I remember hearing here's a way around the speed of light by finding a way to make the universe move instead of you like yes. they do space can contract and expand changing the travel time that that something has however um that would leave some sort of evidence of it doing so, and I'm I'm not even sure how you would you would get that that to work. Um, gravity. The, well, yeah, and gravity is definitely one thing that can cause well, that's, that. But that's the, the, the speed of light that's doesn't like change. So with that, we're going to end there. And that is the end of this particular God TV radio podcast. And if you stuck with us this long, you're a real trooper. And if you're watching the replay of this, uh, hopefully you have fun watching the entire thing. And with that, I say peace out, everyone. Bye, Mark. Bye, everybody. Thanks for having us, TTOR. Bye-bye. Thank you, TTOR.